The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Special episode tonight. We're going to take a break from the That One Play episodes, which have been, going, been a lot of fun, but we have a Todd Munkin sighting and a hiring to talk about, an exciting new offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Georgia background, 57 years old, long history in the NFL and the college ranks. Here to talk to me about that is a very prominent Georgia fan, Jake Vogel. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, thrilled to have you here. And you're just the right guy for this. Uh, I really appreciated doing the show with you when Roquan Smith was uh, originally uh, brought on for the Ravens. I thought you had some great insights about that. So we'll talk some Todd Monken tonight in terms of of uh, what he means uh, to the Ravens offense, what he will mean in terms of changes to the Ravens offense. So let's look a little historically here first. The Ravens have uh, had a number of offensive coordinators and relatively few defensive coordinators. The defensive coordinators the Ravens have have almost uniformly been outstanding. Some people might say that Madison was a little bit below the line, but Pagano got a head coaching job after one year, and Marvin mm-hmm. Lewis was terrific. Uh, Rex Ryan certainly had a, a uh, storied coaching career after he after he left with the uh, left the Ravens, Mike Nolan went on to be a head coach. Uh, Dean Pease uh, was here for six years, and and I think a lot of people are down on what he did, but it's successful anyway. The point being that that the Ravens' defensive coordinators have been uniformly very successful. The offensive coordinators, much less so. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that is an understatement. I, I believe um, for sure, the offensive coordinators have been a little bit of a turnstile in Baltimore. And I don't know if, if some of that's just the, the tradition that we've had, but also the, the quarterback play in Baltimore. We, you know, we had very solid level with Joe Flacco, um, but not an elite, he, even though he was Mr. Elite in Baltimore, he was not the greatest quarterback um, in the league at the time. So it it's, it's a little bit tough to say the reason why, but it's certainly true that defensive coordinators have been, you know, um, a very, very good spot on this coaching staff, you know, pretty much since the inception of the Ravens. Uh, that's a that's a reasonable point to make about the, the Ravens' inability to develop or find a starting quarterback certainly was a, was a big problem about that. It can be a chicken and egg question because the right offensive coordinator can sometimes find that, that uh, quarterback who's you don't know is the guy 
And Monken most recently has a record of that. Absolutely. Uh, you're talking about um, just recently, his last three years at Georgia, he had Stetson Bennett, who was a walk-on. By now, most people know his story. Um, you know, Kirby Smart said that, you know, he was third on the depth chart or fourth fourth string at Georgia. And Stetson Bennett, you know, stood up for himself time and time again, saying that he's good enough to play. Um, and he, he ended up proving it. And I think Todd Munkin is a big reason why. Um, so I think both of those guys deserve credit, but, uh, going from a walk-on quarterback at a huge program at, you know, the university of Georgia and becoming a two-time national champion. Um, it speaks a lot for Todd Munkin and it speaks a lot for Stetson Bennett. Um, kind of the, the collaboration of those two. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I don't want to take the credit away from Stetson Benefit, but he, Stetson, uh, <laughs> Stetson Bennett, but uh, he also doesn't deserve all the credit for, for what, what uh, happened here. And certainly the tutelage of Munkin had to be useful and the way he fit him into the scheme. I think, you know, given the fact that uh, Munkin may be coming to the NFL again, he's been here before with an opportunity to have an extraordinary talent like Lamar Jackson. Hopefully that works out to be the case. We don't know as of this date. I, If I'm setting the meter or the uh, over-under percentage right now, I'm right around 50%. I'm not higher than that. I don't think I'm lower than that. I think that's right where I am right now as we sit on uh, February 16th with about three weeks to go, a little less. Um, until the uh, until the new league year starts, but anyway, a, a, sorry, that's until the franchise tag I think needs to be applied. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the the uh, as of right now, um, you know, there's still a chance he'll have a special talent. He will have a special offensive line anyway, I think, to work with a pretty good one, um, and and some other things. So let's let's talk about that for a minute. Sure, is Munkin in his time at Georgia a guy who? did anything particularly revolutionary in terms of blocking schemes and whatnot? Um, I think he continued what they already had going. Um, honestly, for, from, from the blocking perspective, the Georgia run game is, you know, pretty historic. Um, a lot of, a lot of people would call the university of Georgia RBU because of how many running backs they produce. Um, with that comes a good, strong offensive line. And I think the recruiting process that Kirby Smart has had in place ever since he became the head coach um, at UGA has been bringing in um, quality players. Not all, not all the time, five-star guys. They Georgia does develop players really well. So I think Todd Munkin has a hand in that. But um, they have a ton of tertiary coaches at the University of Georgia that that help with that. And I'm not sure to the degree that Munkin is involved with the offensive linemen in particular, but I think he did a great job um, with the offensive line and with that run game. All right. We see We saw a team that uh, used the tight end a fair amount, particularly in 22 mm-hmm. in the national championship run. Maybe talk a little bit about that because obviously he's coming to a tight end centric offense here in Baltimore or one that was tight end centric. Sure. Um, I think when you're talking about Georgia, you can't, get too many sentences into your statement without bringing up the, t- the tight ends. Uh, this was just a talented group. And honestly, some of the best playmakers at Georgia, therefore Todd Munkin was smart to use them and smart to, you know, run a lot of 12 personnel looks. Um, and that's simply what he did, what he did. Uh, 
you you watch enough Georgia tape and you realize that Todd Munkin is a coordinator that gets the ball into the playmaker's hands. And that's something that everybody should want. That's something that should be very simple and um, expected from an offensive coordinator, but it's not always easy to come by. And I think that is something that he will bring to Baltimore. That, uh, that being said, Brock Bowers, you know, tight end one at Georgia is a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal tight end, uh, basically an offensive weapon. And Munkin, of course, was going to have him on the field uh, pretty much at all times, any time that he can. And then Darnell Washington is this behemoth of a tight end that I, I believe coming into the NFL will be one of the better blocking tight ends, even mm-hmm. as a rookie, which is amazing to say. A six foot seven, about 270, and he's an athlete too. I, I think he has a real shot of going in the first round, and he is not the same caliber of player as Brock Bowers. So that's what he had to work with at tight end. And now he's coming to Baltimore, where we have Mark Andrews, one of the best guys in the league, um, Isaiah Likely, who looked pretty promising, and Charlie Kolar as well. So I, I think he is going to be very interested in continuing some of that 12 personnel looks that he showed at Georgia. It's it's uh, kind of funny you mentioned the 12 personnel look because that would actually be a light look for the 2022 <laughs> Ravens, right. who played over 2.3 uh, tight ends, sixth offensive lineman, and a fullback. Uh, th- this year uh, per play. It's the, by far the heaviest personnel. I know folks who are, are fans of this show relatively hear me talking about it because it just it was mind-boggling by by how much they were larger than any other offense in recent NFL history. I think in, in, terms, in a relative sense, you probably have to go back to the 1970s before you could find a uh, an offense who would be as heavy. And you'd ha- you might have to go back even further than that to find a, an offense that was as relatively heavy, meaning that they were heavier than the rest of the league by so much. Uh, but anyway, this, certainly the tight ends I, I, I are a strength of the Ravens. Monken has a history of using the strengths that he uh, walks into, regardless of whether that's been at Tampa Bay or mm-hmm. even Cleveland. Absolutely. And just a quick comment on the, the 12 versus 22 and Baltimore versus Georgia. Uh, UGA does not have a focal point, focal piece at fullback. Uh, That's a position that they use a little bit more sparingly, and they kind of like to do that in the red zone. Occasionally, you'll see Georgia line up a defensive lineman uh, at the fullback position, something that's always fun to see. Um, Jalen Carter, by the way, who might be going first overall, if not that, probably in the top three. he has been used at the fullback position and also Jordan Davis, who the Ravens were heavily, sure. heavily linked to also did a little bit of fullback action um, the previous years at UGA. So uh, not, not a big position for Georgia, but I do think Munkin will keep Pat Ricard in Baltimore, at least for the season. And he will like to utilize him. Um, maybe in the future, the Ravens want to get a little bit more versatile athletic fullback, kind of like what they had in use check. Um, but, but as for 2023, I do expect Pat Ricard to be a piece in this offense. Okay. Well, that's good. Cause he's certainly going to be around, uh, right. for this year. They, the Ravens have a small cap savings. They could harvest if they cut him, but it's not enough that they would, they would, uh, feel like it's worth it. They could save about 1.75 million, but I, i I feel fairly confident for that, that they'll stay with Ricard after the year he had. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, it, it, it's a inheriting some, some components of offense. Now, part of it is inheriting the personnel. The other part of it is really deciding how much of the scheme do you want to keep from the previous era. So Roman kind of had a, a good situation where he was already the tight ends coach, then the run game coordinator before he became the offensive coordinator. So he was a run game coordinator under, under Morningweg. And so he was already designing a lot of the Ravens run game before he came in and, and was the Ravens offensive coordinator. Now, Munkin coming in, I don't know how much of the, I won't call it the scheme knowledge, the scheme understanding. I mean, there's a lot of the, the players certainly have a background in understanding how to run the, the counter plays and all of the, the various baseline schemes that the Ravens have to move linemen around on a run play. The Ravens certainly know how to run those already. I don't know how much of the scheme is left on the coaching side, whether that was mostly Roman or whether there's another guy. And I, I've, I've speculated, maybe you you have a thought on this, but I I speculate that I don't think Joe D'Alessandris probably is the scheme guy. I think he's the individual technical training guy that develops alignment and says, hey, you put your hands here, you do this, but not the guy who says, okay, you got two men pulling on this play. You and you need to both do this kind of thing. I, I would agree with that. I think by this time, he would have a pretty good understanding of the scheme side of it because he's mm-hmm. been working with Greg Roman for that long, um, as well as some other coordinators. But um, I, I agree. He's more of a hands-on uh, teacher to offensive linemen individually rather than this run game coordinator um, that Greg Roman, you know, had had his hands in before he became the OC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see, I, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, that works out. Obviously, watching Dallas Andrus at camp on the field, teaching individual offensive linemen, I definitely get that kind of an individual rep-by-rep thing. They don't do a whole lot of offensive line drilling in the side 10-minute sessions, meaning what, what it is is mostly two, two and three men. It's usually one side of the offensive line that's working together against two guys with pads that might be in a, you know, one, three look or a, or a three, five look, whatever it might, or sorry, a one, five look. Um, and, and they, they try and work through that, but they don't, it's, it's mostly about hand placement. It's mostly about not making the wrong first step. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but I think Dallas Andrus will always have a job in the NFL based on what he can do and the, and the way the Ravens have had a record of developing linemen. I just think I, I, I it would just as my opinion that the scheme thing is really more more Roman. So anyway, getting back to my question related to Munkin is uh, he's obviously wed to some of the players he's going to inherit. He doesn't really have a choice. The Ravens can't mm-hmm. rebuild the roster all at once. They only have a few draft picks. They, they they're stuck with some of the players they've got. And by from that, do you think they're stuck with some of the scheme as well? I mean, I love the run game, but the but the question is. How much is Munkin going to be able to deviate from existing run concepts? Uh, I think that just depends on the skill set of the players already in Baltimore. Uh, I imagine that they'll keep a lot of the same um, run schemes that they've had simply because it's worked really well and Munkin knows that the players can do it. I think that he'll integrate a little bit more zone than what we have seen. And we, we saw a little bit more of that this past year um with Tyler Linderbaum and Morgan Moses um is is good in space as well um surprisingly and Mm -hmm. and Ronnie Stanley you know when he's healthy he can move quite well so I think that he'll you know add a little bit to it but the Ravens are going to stick with 
you know, some of the things that they already do extremely well in the run game. Okay. So this was Munkin's third year at Georgia, correct? Is that right? Yes. So, so yep. he was there his first year. He had been Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, that is, he's one of the players. I'll be interested, interested to see what Munkin can get out of him, whether there's a step up in his play, whether he can have a come to Jesus talk about him taking the game more seriously, whatever it needs to be. And by the way, I don't know for a fact that Ben Cleveland is not taking the game seriously, but something is keeping him on the bench. Right. And uh, Ben Powers had a great year, and Zeitler had a great year, and he never really got a chance. It's true. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I, I kind of wish he had won the job by now as opposed to still leaving it in doubt when I had him so highly thought of coming out of Georgia in, in the draft a couple of years ago. I'm, I, you know, anyway, if. If there is somebody who can get something out of Ben Cleveland, I certainly hope it's Todd Monken. I agree. And I I think that there will be some familiarity um, between the two, obviously, and that should help. That should help Ben Cleveland. Um, I, I can't figure out why, just like you, why Cleveland hasn't taken that step, but hopefully this is the year in year three. All right. Uh, we, we, we talked about the tight end some, but an important component of the tight end play that was really has not been present for all of the last two seasons. Part of it because Jackson's been hurt and part of it because it's not really Jackson's MO is a true play action game. One where, Mm -hmm. uh, Jackson can take a snap, turn his back to the field and then reacquire it after a fake handoff. Now, one of the issues with that is, the boot element of that is not going to be particularly successful with a with a super mobile quarterback like Jackson because that edge defender onto the boot side is always going to be completely focused on where's that ball? Does Lamar Jackson still have it? It's it's his first responsibility. And Joe Flacco could get away with a lot of that because he wasn't right. mobile. It's, it's a it's paradoxical in a way. Mm-hmm. Jackson actually has to has to make a play. Would you expect Munkin, based on what you've seen from him at Georgia and other places for that matter, would be somebody who'd want to bring back more turn-your-back play action, even though there might be some growing pains with it? I think he will. Um, the play action game was pretty strong at Georgia, and Stetson Bennett is in no way, shape, or form the same athlete as Lamar Jackson, but he is a a mobile quarterback. I, I think most people would say that. And Todd Munkin was really good at utilizing that mobility from from Bennett so I I think you could see some similar things um with the Ravens as long as Lamar Jackson is here and um you know perhaps take it to the next level uh so some of that play action stuff some of the boot action and um perhaps some long runs off of that uh could be really effective but I I agree with your point It, it is it's really frustrating having um, the extremely mobile quarterback for this particular type of play because they're so effective um, in most other cases. But uh, you're right, that that, de- that defender on the edge is just focused on the quarterback. So the quarterback has very little room for error uh, to avoid that player. Yeah, you're, 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 when you roll the quarterback right, and a, a famous play in Ravens history, the Lamar returning the, from the bathroom play. 
Right. So it was a roll right with some mm-hmm. um, additional protection kept in. I don't remember if it was two or three kept in on the play, but it was a it was a low. There weren't a lot in that route uh, uh, beyond Marquise Brown, <laughs> and actually benefited from some bumping in the secondary going on with a with a defensive lineman who dropped a cover. But when they when they have that opportunity where multiple players can stay in, they can effectively cut like set up like kind of wall they would when they're stretching a run to that side and then pass off it. And the Ravens have been, I think, very successful doing that, whether it's whether it's 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 probably the best that Huntley ever looks when they try and run it like that, giving him extra time like that because he's not comfortable staying in the pocket. And it's also very good for Jackson. It doesn't really create a lot of run opportunities when he boots out in that direction, not nearly as many as, in my opinion, when he stays in the pocket and waits for the the pass rush lanes to break down. But but this would be part of the question is is what would you know, would you see that being part of the offense or? Uh, is it a? Uh, I want to get back to, to, to play action in a second. Um, does does this uh, does this does this match with his mo at Georgia? Yeah, I, I think I think you saw Bennett get out on the move a little bit in space, and um, he, he's a shorter quarterback as well. Not, I mean, not like Lamar. He's Bennett's more like five eleven, six foot, and Lamar Jackson is six two, I believe. Mm-hmm. So. It, it's not quite as much of an issue with the offensive lineman being taller um, for Lamar Jackson, but for the shorter quarterbacks sometimes to, you know, uh, recapture the field, see who's open. It's nice to get them outside the pocket. And I think that's something that could continue with Lamar with his legs. And I, uh, it'll be part of the offense for sure. But I do imagine if the Ravens, are able to keep Lamar Jackson and they address the wide receiver position, we will see Lamar Jackson in the pocket a little bit more this year than what we have in years past. All right. I think that'd be good. That'd be good to see. And if you're going to keep him in the pocket, I definitely want to see some turn your back play action to do it there. It probably would mean the Ravens are going to go back to a few more uh, looks out of a true tailback or out of the pistol, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that. Uh, I, I mean, it, it could be just a true tailback where he's under center, but it, but it could be actually out of the pistol as well. Uh, that changes where Lamar is dangerous as a runner to being to the outside. And one of the things that's happened the last few years is Lamar has been tremendously dangerous up the middle as a runner, uh, right. running out of sidecar. So, uh, any and do you get any sense of of how Munkin would be more likely to use Lamar pistol or sidecar? The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, hope you didn't lose Jake here, but we might have. I'll just Okay, we're good. We're good. Yes. Um so it, it's tough to get to get a feel for it. Um right now I would say that it would be a a solid mixture of the two simply because the success that Lamar has had up the middle is is phenomenal, but you know, going back to his earlier years, um what he could do on the outside was was also fantastic. So I think Todd Munkin's going to use him um, in both ways. Just depends on on the running backs we have, and and the skill set um, in, in terms of speed and power. All right, well, let's talk about some of the other things that we know. We hope we know what the Ravens have going into 2023 in terms of known weapons at wide receiver. We we hope that Bateman will be back for the beginning of the year. Uh, Devin Duvernay, I don't really have a good handle on in terms of exactly where his injury is, but I certainly hope he'll be back for the beginning of the year as well. I mean, if it's not the case, it's definitely a, a, a deeper hole that the Ravens have dug themselves uh, in. Um, if we talk about concepts being layered on in the passing game and, and a, a coordinator like Munkin coming in, what do you think his first priority might be and, and to what in his past might he reach to? Uh, in terms of concepts to to include in the Ravens offense? I mean, I, th- I think you're going to see some more play action um, for sure. I think you're going to see something that I really liked from Todd Munkin at Georgia is the willingness and ability to get the ball to running backs in the passing game. And, and right now the Ravens don't really have one of those guys unless you can see the progression of a J.K. Dobbins or they bring back Justice Hill and they really integrate him in, into that. Um, perhaps they draft somebody like a Kenny McIntosh out of Georgia or a different running back that has that that true skill set as a receiving back. But um, Georgia did that extremely well, an extension of the run game, get the ball in space and and let those guys make plays instead of putting that um, that pressure on Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, even though he is uh, perhaps the best or one of the best players with the ball in his hands in the NFL. Okay. Um, one thing that, that, you know, we see out of the Pittsburgh Steelers, we see out of the Kansas city chiefs a fair amount is bunch formations and trying to work off that. How much was it, was that a part of the Georgia offense the last three years? Yeah, it was, Bunches were a pretty decent part that a lot of times they would um, move all of the receivers on a given play or three of the receiving options over to one side. Sometimes that was a true bunch. Other times it was a little bit more spread out. Um, But yeah, I think, I think you'll see a good bit of that as well as like I mentioned a moment ago, the running backs getting the ball tight end screens are going to be a big part of the offense as well. Um, and, and screens to wide receivers. I just think he's going to be much more creative in the passing game, getting the ball to players like Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews, and another um, 
solid receiver that we bring into this offense. Uh, perhaps Isaiah likely as well. I, I just think there's going to be some of those easy passes for Lamar Jackson where players can create after the catch. Okay. So one of the things Munkin had the luxury of at Georgia and has certainly had the luxury of at other places like Tampa Bay, probably to a lesser extent at Cleveland too, is some faster receivers who really could guarantee that the field would be much more spread out and threatened vertically. Mm-hmm. Uh, is does do the Ravens have enough of that to satisfy Munkin, or do you think he's going to be screaming in the draft room for for fast receivers? I think he really he really wants one. Um, I would I would almost say need one because the uncertainty uncertainty of Devin Duvernay. So yeah, that that would be a big priority for me. Um, if I was Todd Munkin talking to EDC or anybody in the front office in terms of adding personnel speed is a, is a big part of it. Georgia had some speed threats. They have a a player, Lad McConkey, really solid wide receiver. Doesn't look like much, um, smaller athlete at the position, but, um, very solid, uh, very solid receiver. Honestly. Um, he had another guy, Jermaine Burton that ended up transferring to Alabama, kind of a similar mold, but the real speed threat, um, at Georgia did not play much this year, but you saw him in big moments near the end of the season, Arian Smith. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a big catch in the national championship. I believe he also might've had one in the Ohio state game. Um, That kind of player is what Todd Munkin wants for sure. I don't know if he needs it to have success, but it certainly helps and is probably a big part of what he wants to do. When Mark Andrews was a more effective receiver in the past, and Mark Andrews, the passer rating throwing to him has dropped in each of his seasons. Uh, one of the things that was that was true was that he had a speed threat in Marquise Brown that was loosening up the field in some really useful ways, even though he didn't always have great other receivers. Um, and if you look at tape of his catches between level two and level three, particularly in 19 – also in 2018 some, uh, but but 19 and 20, I'll, I'll, I'll say. I'll pick those two years specifically. Brown was peeling off the, the, the safeties on a fair number of those plays, and the safeties had a high, gave a high priority to Brown and would let Andrews go. Um, it seems to me Andrews gotten obviously a lot more targets, and those those targets on the margin have been much less productive than they have been in the past. I, I just, I, to me, it's DeAndre Hopkins' name keeps coming up associated with the Baltimore Ravens. To me, he's the, the exactly the worst kind of fit for what the Ravens need here. It's not that he's not a good receiver. He probably could help somebody still if he was playing a X role or, or, a, or a, uh, a on the other side as well, um, w- would be fine on the outside. But I don't think he's the right guy to peel the top off the defense and to be the guy that they always have to assign two people to. I think, you know, as an underneath guy is going to be a guy you, you you try and close the window on with a linebacker and the and the cornerback who you assign to him. And he just he doesn't create opportunities for Andrews. In a lot of ways, he is Andrews you know, at this mm-hmm. point in his career where he's not that that terrific speed threat. And, you know, this, this, this goes to the Ravens and whether or not they might take a receiver number one as opposed to a corner both positions of very dire need for this team. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that is, is first of all, do you think a, a top end speed receiver? So if a Marquise Brown was available at 22, 
it, would that be the way they'd go or would they still go to the best corner available at that point? Now, it's obviously completely dependent on who's on the board. Right. But where do you see it? Uh, man, it, it is, it's pretty neck and neck uh, between corner and wide receiver. In my opinion, it's almost, almost 50, 50 for me. Um, I would, I would lean, I would lean that Baltimore is probably 50. Well, it's not really truly 50, 50. Okay. Um, it's more like 35% wide receiver, 28% corner or 30% okay. to, to make it easier. And then the rest of the percentage is uh, right. The field. Okay. So that's, um, that's, that's very good. By the way, I was going to ask you that I'm at 45, 35 and 20 right now, corner wide receiver and other. Yeah. And, and I, I do believe that there will be many corners taken in the first round this year and the wide receiver class is good, but it's not as strong at the top as I believe the cornerback class is. So there could be this dynamic where the Ravens are on the clock and five corners have already come off the board, which would be pretty impressive. And at that point, the Ravens might still be able to take one of the top receivers available. And then they would be in discussion about, is this receiver better than the sixth corner mm-hmm. or another position? So. Yes. Yeah. Interesting on draft night last year that the four the four wide receivers came off before Jordan Davis, before Kyle Hamilton. And obviously Ravens fans very upset with what happened. I think that the the second round was the bigger deal losing Pickens. I don't think the Ravens made a mistake in the in the with their first overall pick. Mm-hmm. I think you could question whether Lindebaum was the right guy, but Lindebaum had a had a, a very solid season for his rookie year, played all played all the games. Not the pass blocker. We'd hope he would be right out of school, but he was the run blocker. And, you know, he could build off off where he is, hopefully, and, and become a bigger, stronger player. Uh, I'm 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 more concerned with a Jabo at 45 as opposed to a player like Pickens who could have given them an immediate boost. I agree with that. And obviously, as a Georgia fan, I was very high on George Pickens um, from his freshman year on. So that was disappointing. But we have a pass rusher that could be a very important part of this defense to look forward to. So uh, we'll have to hold judgment on that for a few years before we really kind of figure out um, who won that draft spot. Um, uh, but, but to answer your question about the type of wide receiver, I would hope the Ravens would draft. I do believe a speed threat is a priority. So I would lean more speed threat if, if they're taking someone in the draft and I still am um, happy with the idea of a DeAndre Hopkins or a Mike Evans if he was available to come to Baltimore to add another weapon. And not you don't just want a big-time name if that player is on the decline, but a player of that caliber would certainly help out in this offense. Um, you have Mark Andrews. You have Rashad Bateman, who hasn't been healthy yet for a full season and you want to have more weapons that you can rely upon. So, you know, adding, adding Hopkins or Evans, or maybe it's somebody like DJ Chark, who's not as, not as impressive of a name that would be good. And then you want to see a guy like Jalen Hyatt um, or Zay flowers or 
um insert another speedy receiver in this class jackson smith and jigba is not necessarily the fastest guy but um has plenty of athleticism he's more a little bit more of a slot type any any of those guys could be interesting for this baltimore ravens offense with todd munkin yeah i'd be excited about shark uh, a little bit i mean he's only 26 years old right now deandre hopkins is gonna be 31 in june uh you know the ravens just do not have good success generally acquiring wide receivers, but even the ones that have had a little bit of success, DeMar- uh, sorry, Marcus Robinson back in 2003, uh, you know, it, it had a, a, a very brief period of success, frankly, with the Ravens, but they, that seems year they acquired Frank Sanders and he did not, he did not have success with the Ravens. You know, they obviously made a terrible move in going out to get Lee Evans. Uh, Anquan Bolden did work out. Wallace was a, a reasonable signing for, mm-hmm. for his period with the Ravens. He's really the one older guy they've gotten since Bolden uh, who's been okay. Um, uh, Steve Smith, I would say. Oh, good point. Steve Smith. That is a really good one. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of left him out. We just had this discussion on the show the other night about who had they gotten since Bolden who was older <laughs> that was any good. And we somehow we both blacked out on Steve Smith. Unfortunately, Steve Smith missed a lot of time with injury with the Ravens, yep. but uh, but certainly was a hell of a player when he was on the field. All right, so we'll see uh, we'll see what the Ravens do in terms of of doing that. I, I want to talk about a few of the cons, and we don't have to take nearly as long on this because, frankly, Ravens fans I don't think want to hear the cons about about Todd Monkett. But there are some interesting things. He's fifty seven years old, if I recall correctly, now, and uh, one of the barbs that is out there on Twitter about this being a bad hire, a terrible hire is that um, he doesn't present a threat to be the, uh, the next head coach. And number two is that he's not, he's, he's already lived his entire life around the NFL and college ball and presumably is not going to be a revolutionary with regard to scheme. And so, you know, if you want a revolutionary with regard to scheme, with regard to probably thought about win probability and whatnot, usually you're talking about a younger guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I honestly think both of those points. The first point I think is ridiculous. The The second point I can see a little bit, but you're talking about an offensive coordinator that really put Georgia on the map. In terms of offense, we, we were thinking of this Bulldogs team as a defensive unit through and through. And really, Todd Munkin had turned it around to a point where the offense, you know, more than held its own. It, it carried the team in some games. Uh, Georgia's defense is phenomenal. Kirby Smart's a great defensive mm-hmm. mind. Um, not taking anything away from that. But the offense truly did its part and with some you know lesser known players that that developed like he he was able to take Stetson Bennett a walk-on quarterback to the promised land twice um and Bennett looked really good especially in 2022 so to to say that because he's an older guy that he's not revolutionary or that he's it's going to be a little bit more stale possibly um I, I think that's kind of silly considering what we all just witnessed um the past two years at at the University of Georgia um and, and I think if you look back at his other years in the NFL uh with Cleveland he had very productive players Odell Beckham Jr. Jarvis Landry Nick Chubb their team was not the best um Baker Mayfield was not perfect 
but he was able to get production out of the playmakers. I think with the Ravens, um, he is going to find production out of the playmakers and he has a better bar to start with if Lamar Jackson is still the quarterback here. Okay. So, yeah. 41.1 yards per game with Stetson Bennett at quarterback in 2022. And, and obviously, the Georgia defense did play a role in the 41.1 offensive points per game. But yeah. uh, but still, uh, an outstanding uh, uh, number and and one you just you, you don't take for granted. But uh, is it Georgia or Alabama who won the won a game nine to six a few years back in terms of it, that in the national championship game? But it might have been another. It, uh, yeah, it w- I don't know if it was Georgia, um, unless it was a few years ago. It, it might be as long as a decade because that's about how long uh, <laughs> ago things, uh, you know, things stick with me. So anyway, yeah. older guy. Um, so you're not concerned anyway about him not being a hardball replacement and you're not concerned about his age making him not a revolutionary. Neither of those things really bother you. Uh, correct. I, I think honestly, people are kind of underestimating um, what his aspirations could be. Just because he's 57 years old doesn't mean this guy never wants a head coaching opportunity. And it's, in my opinion, when we were talking about the offensive coordinator job in general for Baltimore, it is the ideal scenario for a coordinator to come into Baltimore, have extreme success, and get hired as a head coach. Obviously, as a Ravens fan, you realize as long as John Harbaugh is the head coach and he is having success, he's not going anywhere unless he retires. Right. So, so the best you can get is success. And with success comes more opportunity for people. Um, so let me stop, let me stop you there for a second, because this, this book, this is one of the big questions about the hire. Now I'm, while I, I'm generally positive on, on Todd Munkin and I, I only presented those previous two things to basically allow you to refute them there there. I don't really buy either of them. I don't even care about whether or not somebody thinks he's a hard bar replacement. If he, if he's good enough to be a hard bar replacement, fantastic. Uh, and, and some other team can have him more than likely is, is the answer to that. But the current, the, the, the hire of Munkin does not take advantage of the NFL minority rules. And whatever the rules are, right. I believe take advantage of them the best you can. San Francisco certainly oh, yeah. understands this. You know, they've had a bunch of third round draft picks added from the fact that they've lost uh, coordinators of color or, or other coaches of color to, to significant roles. So this would have been a great opportunity if they had the right guy that they thought could be hired up. Uh, to uh, promote into that role, whether it was from within or somebody outside the organization who still has a head coaching job ahead of him uh, in the future. So for that for that reason, maybe a younger African American coach uh, m- might have been the, the you know a correct answer or a or a good answer in terms of giving your your team a good opportunity to get to some third round draft picks in the future. I I agree, and that's a higher level thought process um of the front office i I don't really believe the ravens separate their their hires like a lot of other teams do where the general manager is kind of ranked above the head coach um that that's a that's a similar theme that i hear a lot of places but in baltimore i believe it's a little bit more head coach reports to steve general manager reports to steve and, and not so much the other is that true 
Yeah, yeah, you're you're correct. So there's really three systems. And and occasionally Pat Kerwin will talk about this on his show, but he says you can go into a strong head coach role where basically that's what they had out in Oakland where uh, Mayock was supporting Gruden. And basically right. Gruden is in charge of the personnel decisions and whatnot. And Mayock is using his scouting experience to, to try and you know balance the board, find the right guys, make other good personnel decisions from around the league and using his abilities in there. But it's a strong head coach system. And and Gruden was the guy with the really long term contract that they still got rid of early, but but the the uh, the other the other system is a strong GM system, and I would say that um, Ozzie Newsom was not that, although he could have been, you know, in terms of the guys. But but he said two guys in Billick and Harbaugh primarily who were extremely strong individual leaders, and and they he never had to stray much into that realm. Other, there are other places where the GM really has more control. I think that system is probably rarer these days. And then the Ravens have the third system, which is basically both report to the owner. They're separate right. but equal entities. And in the draft room, you know, the Costa the, the, the is king, but other people can have input when it comes to the to the roster, uh, not, not to the roster, to the to the game day actives and and you know the strategy on the field and whatnot. Harbaugh is going to be king, but EDC can say, hey can I help you by going out and getting player X, um, you, you know, to, to augment what we've got right now. And, and so hopefully that kind of a, that kind of a system works. And that really goes into the hiring roles. So when they're hiring somebody like Munkin, it's Harbaugh's hire. And I don't know mm-hmm. to what degree, you know, either DaCosta as a GM can say, Hey John, look, we got two candidates. I'll, I Pick your guy, but all things being equal, we want a person of color because that gives us the possibility of having third round right. draft picks in the future. Yeah, I'm not sure that either, but that that was kind of the point that I was getting to. Um, Extremely high level of thought, but I'm not sure how much the ownership, Steve Bashotti, or the whole team hiring process um, thought out uh, about getting, uh, you know, future compensatory picks with this hire. It it is really a smart move if you believe this guy is going to be great and he's Mm going to move on and become a head coach. Um, It's a great point. Yeah. So one of the other things that I think actually probably speaks well to Munkin as opposed to poorly, but you could make the argument either way, is that the Ravens you know, had two guys that they were presumably grooming to be an OC who you know, may have had higher aspirations for there. But T. Martin, in terms of the passing game coordinator, and, and uh, uh, Keith Williams uh, were both guys that they wanted you know, certainly to, to – potentially be heirs to to the job that Roman left behind. Um, and neither of them was taken. I assume they were interviewed, but I don't know. I, I really don't have any idea if they were even considered in the interview process. Obviously, in some sense, Harbaugh probably knows about enough about both of them to either eliminate them right off the fact or or interview them and say, we want it. it you know, I don't think with 30 people that they talk to, I don't think there's any question about needing some minimum number of minority candidates that they talked to. So I don't think they would play any games with those two to yeah. give them undue hope that they've been there. But if you look back over Ravens hires, the last three DC and OC hires have been Martindale, uh, who, who was hired from on staff. So, you know, obviously in, in, in house promotion of a veteran guy, I was actually very critical of that hire because there wasn't anything about his past that said, obviously this guy's going to be great. And then I was wrong. I mean, he was fantastic. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm very happy with that hire. 
the the Roman hire is is from staff. It is another older guy, but is a guy who certainly had proven himself and the run game coordinator and with Jackson before he got the thing. And and the end of the 2018 season with how well that went, it it seemed like that was a, a perfectly reasonable thing. And then the McDonald hire effectively was in house. Yes, right. he took a sabbatical to go back to Michigan for what one year or two, whatever it was. It's just one year. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know, he's an in-house hire effectively. They knew exactly yeah. who he was and 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 they brought him back. This time, whoever they talked to in-house, whoever they considered in-house on the staff, and this is why I'm not sure there's that that one run game scheme guy is still left around. Um they, they, they it just wasn't the right guy for them. So if if they did consider either either Williams or Martin, um, you know, we 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 don't know about it. And I've never seen a complete candidate list or anything like that. I don't know if, if one has been produced. I know they've, it, there's been a snippet here, a snippet there on Twitter right. of people that the Ravens have talked to. Yeah, the Ravens are one of those teams that really keep everything closed, closed off from the public. They they don't leak a lot of information, even if it's um, information that doesn't seem like it matters one way or the other. If people know, um, they, they are very tight-lipped. So, um, yeah, we, we do not know about those two guys, and that would be interesting. I did just see a report tonight, I believe, that T. Martin is getting an interview with the Colts for their offensive coordinator position. Wow. Okay. Um, unfortunately, that would not help the Ravens in qualify, the comp pick. No. It has yeah. to be a head coach. Okay, so that would that's that's uh, that is unfortunate, and obviously, you want to have as uh, you know having a, a great stable is always good. I I don't think that anybody thought that uh, Cully was a mm-hmm. was a head coaching candidate. Then yeah. out, out of the blue, it happened. You know, so uh, it it uh, it obviously is a positive thing. Anyway, I will say this: the minority hiring rules, I believe, are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're, they're getting opportunities for people. There's people like me, and there's certainly, if I'm thinking about it, every GM in the National Football League is thinking about it in terms of, can we find a person of color so we can take advantage of the draft pick system in the future? That, that opportunities are being created by this program. So when somebody comes out and bashes the fact that a Munkin is hired over um, candidates of color, I say he almost has to be more qualified in some sense. Right. In some sense, you have to believe this is an indication of a very significant amount of qualification that that would occur because every other you know common sense thing says hire somebody of color given the given the opportunity that creates. Yeah, and I mean, just without going into the depth of it, what other offensive coordinator from college football would be more qualified to come into the NFL and be an offensive coordinator than what Todd Munkin had just produced at Georgia? Yeah, he, I mean, he checks all the boxes in a lot of ways in terms of having been in the NFL before, had some success right. there. Not always great success, but but some success. Sure. And then obviously being a, a unbelievable developer of lesser talent on the offensive side of the ball at Georgia. Yep. Yeah, I agreed with that. All right. Outstanding. Do you think if if you're John Harbaugh and you're talking to Todd Munkin about his him coming into this role? Is part of your discussion, you're going to be here for X number of years. I know you're a head coaching candidate in the NFL. And even if you didn't, maybe there's a point, whether it's two or three years from now, or maybe five years from now, that you're going to be retiring if that doesn't happen. I want you to be really cognizant of developing a successor for your role. I want you to have, we have good succession planning. That's our goal anyway on this team. But I want you to to pick one or two guys on your staff 
that really have the possibility to be your successor when the time comes? Um, that would be a great conversation for him to have. I have no idea if that's something um, very common, but I mean, you'd see it all the time, you know, offensive coordinators become head coaches mm-hmm. and then, and then their kind of understudy becomes the offensive coordinator at the previous spot, or they, they become offensive coordinators at the new place um, where the, where the other guy left. So uh, it would be great. It would be great to see because, Todd Munkin clearly has a knack for play calling and um, game planning for sure. And I would love to see, you know, somebody under his wing and really learning from him because he has plenty of experience. You would know the answer to this, Jake. So in his time at Georgia, how many of his assistant coaches on the offensive side of the ball went off and got hired into bigger jobs? And that, that, that happens, by the way, all the time in college football. If you look at Todd Munkin's career, 16 different jobs he's had in 34 years in the NFL and college. And that's what it takes. You have to move every couple of years. If you want to move up the chain, better and better opportunities. If you want to make it all the way. And uh, Munkin has certainly lived that life. Have the other Georgia assistant coaches also been hired out of the program and into other good jobs is in in your uh, understanding. Uh, I believe a few of them have left for bigger roles. Um, I don't have the list in front of me. So I, I can't speak to how many, but yeah, the, the Georgia staff does kind of ebb and flow. Um, there's some turnover year by year because of how uh, successful they've been recently. Um, but, but Kirby is kind of making it a, a big time culture to have, have guys there for a while. And, um, a lot of former alumni, um, from the university of georgia are on his staff so they just uh hired mike bobo again to be the offensive coordinator he he had previously coached at georgia as an oc he also played with kirby smart in the same year um i believe is the 94 season something like that at uga um kirby smart will muschamp and mike bobo are all on the staff at Georgia and they played together at Georgia. So there's that thing going on at the same time. They're all very good coaches. So, okay. And, and there is, since there's kind of no place higher to go in college football, certainly right now than, than Georgia. I mean, you go to Alabama, you go to other, other schools in the sec, but, but you really would want a promotion anywhere you'd move. And you're so far close to the top of the college pyramid in terms of what your job is that, you, you kind of wouldn't want to take a big step down in school, even to be the head coach necessarily. I mean, you wouldn't, you, you're, you're probably waiting for that OC or DC role at a really major program uh, mm-hmm. before you make the move. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and Todd Munkin, it had been reported that he was the highest paid uh, assistant in college football um, this past year. So you got the dollar amount on that. Uh, I believe it was 2.1 million, which does not sound outrageous, sound honestly. Um, that that's what has been reported. Multiple um, multiple people have said he was the highest paid assistant. So defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. I guess he was the top guy. I believe the Bulldogs would have paid him more, maybe another you know half million, perhaps. But I, there there might just be more money in the NFL for for coordinators. 
Yeah, you certainly it's one of the ways to beat the cap in the NFL is you can ignore the cap when you're hiring your coordinators. So if if you have an unlimited budget for this sort of thing and nobody has an unlimited budget, <laughs> but if 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 you want to spend more than the cap, I mean the, one of the really good applications is coaching and a good developmental coach. I mean, I just love the idea that Munkin could be that guy for the Ravens offensive players, not not for necessarily for the system, but just get more out of the individual players. Yes. All right, Jake, just love discussing this with you. Uh, you're the perfect guy to have this 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 talk with and, and really appreciate you coming on. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, so you guys will find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at real Jake Vogel, V-O-G-E-L is the last name. Um, I, I'm always happy to talk Ravens football and Georgia football as well as the NFL draft and college football in general. So uh, feel free to hit me up talk on there and um I, I enjoy coming on podcasts occasionally as well all right well great jake i'm sure we'll have you on for more draft content as the as the uh draft season rolls on looking forward to that uh other folks out there if you'd like to do a that one play episode hit me up with a dm on twitter by now you probably know what that is just pick one play in raven's history and it's your recollections of it your thoughts on it maybe if they're historical maybe it's a, a pivot point in raven's history maybe it was just a a cool play some reason you bought your jersey. Some reason there's a big purple stain on your rug because you spilled your drink. You were so excited about the play itself. Whatever it might be, I'd be happy to have you on the show and just talk to you about it. And uh, and uh, these have been a lot of fun. I've, I've done a bunch of them already, and I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing more. It's a very fun uh, type of content to work on. Jake, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.